0: Welcome to the Coronation Merchant Bank podcast series, where we discuss economic, market, growth, and development trends, as well as relevant topical themes. My name is Chinwen Edwim, Chief Economist of Coronation Merchant Bank, and I will steer these conversations. Each episode promises to be interesting, and I am confident you will receive insightful nuggets from our discussion. Now let's get started. In this episode, we are taking a deep dive into the power sector. Now the power sector continues to garner interest due to its role as a major driver for industrialization in most economies. Power shortages remain a prominent infrastructure gap in Nigeria. Power supply is a catalyst to boosting levels of industrial activity for economic development. The national energy demand is estimated at 22,000 megawatts in Nigeria. For businesses located in Nigeria, self generation places pressure on operating expenses. Household wallets are also significantly affected by the same expense. Now, according to the World Bank's 2020 Doing Business Report, getting access to electricity ranks as one of the major constraints for the private sector. Also, industry sources. Suggest that Nigerians spend an estimated or at least $14 billion a year on purchasing and fueling small-scale generators. Nigeria depends heavily on gas for its energy requirements. We understand that over 70% of electricity comes from thermal power plants, and that is gas-fired. The shortage of gas has remained a major constraint to efficient power generation. In 2010, which is about 12 years ago, A roadmap for power sector reform was developed. This privatized generation and distribution, but transmission of electricity remained state-owned. The federal government of Nigeria unbundled the state-owned power holding company of Nigeria, fondly known as PHCN, to create a more nimble and efficient power sector. The sale of generation companies, that is, Genkos, and distribution companies, which we refer to as DISCos, to the private sector was concluded in November 2013. Now, shifting gear, the manufacturing sector grew by 3.4 percent year-on-year last year, which is 2021, and 5.9 percent year-on-year in the first quarter of this year, so Q1 2022. Of course, better power supply will reduce operational costs and boost productivity for manufacturers. Also, the rising cost of fueling diesel-backed generators, which households depend on due to epileptic power supply, continues to strain consumers as inflationary pressure steadily weighs heavy on pockets and purses, and by extension, impacting demand, and so we're seeing softer demand. Improving power sector performance, particularly in manufacturing and services, will be central to unlocking economic growth. The lack of reliable power supply has stifled economic activity, private sector investments, and even job creation. Indeed, an industrial takeoff, which will mainly be supported by improved power supply, is required if Nigeria is ever to achieve sustainable double-digit GDP growth. Now, Nigeria's GDP managed to grow at an average of 6% year-on-year in the first half of the 2010s. And that is before the oil price slide that started in 2014. And it was regardless of power supply challenges at the time. So imagine how well the economy would perform if power supply issues are tackled. Based on industry sources, if power supplies were transformed... This could add at least two percentage points to potential GDP growth. My guest today is Paula Shoyito. She is the chief executive officer of Ikeja Electric, the largest electricity distribution company in sub-Saharan Africa, where she focuses on power sector transformation, which involves increased power distribution, technological transformation, and digital monetization. She consistently leads the industry in loss reduction, metering, innovation and sustainability. Falaka is also on the board of the prestigious Women in Energy Network. Thank you so much for joining us today, Falaka.
1: Thank you very much, Chinwe.
0: So I would just dive straight into the discussion points. And my very first question for you is this: From our vantage point or where we sit, um, do you see Nigeria attaining sustainable power supply over the next five to ten years?
1: Thank you, Chinwe, for that question. I'm quite positive that Nigeria can achieve sustainable power in the next five to ten years. But the key thing is that it must be with the right market policies. And these right market policies must be implemented I mean, we have seen this happen in other sectors, such as the, you know, the telco and financial services, and what that has also done to our GDP. So with the right policies that incentivize investors in the sectors to be able to recover their invested capital timely, and of course, profitably, the level of investment required to achieve sustainable power supply will be achieved sooner than is actually expected. Again, I reiterate, this can only happen if the right policies are implemented courageously.
0: Thank you so much for that response. I completely agree with you. We do not lack um, policies in Nigeria. It's it's, uh, the implementation power that is really our our issue. So I completely agree with you. But what would you say are some challenges with regards to energy distribution for DISCOs? So um, for those who don't know, DISCOs are um, what we refer to or an acronym uh, for distribution companies. So what are some challenges with regards to energy distribution that um, DISCOs such as Ikeja Electricity uh, face? Hmm.
1: Chiwe, this is a very important question because it addresses the issues that is basically affecting the power supply to the last mile. I mean, the challenges are hydro-headed, honestly, but I'll focus on the ones that can immediately unlock stable and reliable power. First is solving the transmission bottleneck in the sector. Discos do not generate power. And neither do they will them. So, to give reliable power to our customers, we need to have power that is wheeled to our injection substations where demand is more. For example, in Ikea Electric, we have an installed distribution capacity of about 1,100 megawatts. Meanwhile, the estimated unsuppressed demand is about 1,500 megawatts. However, today, we get on, on, on average 600 megawatts of power to our distribution substation, substitution, which means that we can only give what we have. So you see, there's already a gap between our capacity and what we're getting and what gets to the last man. Secondly, we also have a structural problem with the way the market is designed. And, and that problem is affecting our ability to fund CAPEX, which obviously needs to strengthen our existing distribution network. But meters and, and I mean, you invest in the infrastructure itself. You also need to invest in ensuring that customers also have meters, which is very critical. And, of course, invest in the right technology that aids better, better customer experience. This market design has to do with what discos are allowed to charge as tariffs. And without having a tariff that is cost-reflective, the market itself is not incentivized to invest, to build additional capacities. And finally, being able to collect what we build is the third and perhaps the most important, which is why metering, like as I mentioned earlier on, is very key and very important. because most of our customers are omitted, right? Even though the gap is, you know, reducing, they often do not pay the full amount of their estimated bills. And and, an estimated bill is sometimes very, you know, touchy and sensitive. But at the end of the day, there's a methodology that is used to be able to determine the energy um, bill of, of of our customers. Some do not even want to pay at all. So even whether you're estimated or meter, some they don't just want to pay. Now these collection losses. As they are referred to in the sector it deprives the discourse of revenues that are required to continue to pay for power they are buying and improve on the service so you see the you see the challenge that distribution companies have apart from not even having enough power to even will um to the customers so i mean that in a nutshell kind of summarizes but. The major challenges, and if we can tackle those 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 ones, I mean, I think that there will definitely be an improvement in the sector
0: okay, thank you so much for that now, based on industry sources and some news wires, a minor review of the electricity tariff is due in July. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can shed some light <laughs> on the reason for another review of tariffs, given that um a hike took place in February this year.
1: Hmm. (laughs) Okay, So the power sector is heavily regulated, obviously. I mean, because these these discos are deemed to be a monopoly. And as such, unlike most other industries, they are actually not allowed to change their prices as they wish. So to address price adjustment, the sector implements what is called a multi-year type order, the MITO which essentially is a model that is that determines how tariffs are set periodically. Now, tariff setting is also based on assumptions, that when aggregated, it helps determine what the actual price of electricity should be. Now, some of these assumptions are moving indicators, such as inflation, exchange rates, interest rates, and even power generation capacity itself. Now, since these indicators change nearly every month, it is imperative that tariff reviews are conducted in tandem. So to this end, the sector decided to adopt a biannual review of tariff, taking into account changes to some of the assumptions that I just mentioned. And these tariff reviews can lead to an upward adjustment of tariffs. For example, inflation rises, and exchange exchange rates rises, for example, and depreciation respectively impacts this type. It can also lead to a downward adjustment if these indicators improve. Of course, you and I know what the indicators are saying. As you agree with me, I mean, inflation has been rising, which is why most businesses have been forced to review their prices. While they change prices at any time in the year, Or as many times as they wish, this only have the opportunity to do so twice yearly, which may or may not result in a price change.
0: Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's, (laughs) that is very interesting. And, and thank you for sharing that. So, um, it's something that we would actually uh, take into consideration when putting out, um, reports around this, um, 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 theme or subject matter. I haven't really seen it from that perspective that you just shared. Okay, so we understand that the 11 DISCOs within the country struggle with meeting their expected remittances to NBET. And NBET um, is the Nigerian Bulk Electricity Trading the liquidity constraints are largely due to non-implementation of cost-reflective tariffs, as you mentioned mm-hmm. just a few seconds ago. High technical and commercial losses um, have also exacerbated um, or, or are exacerbated by energy theft and consumers' um, apathy to payments under this uh, prevailing practice of estimated billing. So in your opinion, what should be done to reduce the technical commercial and uh, collection losses in the delivery of electricity to consumers?
1: This is a very important question again, and I will try not to be too technical with my response. So remittances are essentially the way a disco pays for power that they have bought. Now, discos buy power from EnBet, who is a bulk player in the sector. Unfortunately, because of some of the challenges I mentioned earlier on, collection losses, lack of adequate power from the grid, lack of, quote, cost reflective type, because that's you know, relative, based on what I explained earlier. Discos do not have enough money to pay embed after funding their operational cost. So let's say, for example, You need a thousand megawatt right to break even that's pay for power that you pay for the cost of that power and then you meet your opex which is largely fixed but what you get is 600 megawatts it means that when you sell this power most of the money you collect will be used to fund your opex leaving very little to meet your minimum remittance obligations as well as fund capex you see, you see, you see the, the 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 link.
0: Yes, I see the linkage. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. Hmm. Okay, <laughs> let's 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 shift. Let's shift gears and go into another discussion point. Um, a recent move by the FGN or the authorities to tackle the issue of power in the medium term is the approval of the establishment of InfraCo. And this is a public-private partnership infrastructure company, um, which has the an initial seed capsule of about 1 trillion naira. I think it's designed to help fund projects focused on roads, railways, and, of course, power plants. What are your thoughts around this uh, potential solution?
1: You, you remember I mentioned earlier that for the sector to function effectively, having the right market structure is critical. An aspect of the right market structure is also having the right capital sources where power sector participants can tap into. Power generation, transmission, and distribution are capital-intensive, low-margin businesses that require long-term capital to enable effective expansion and, of course, capacity-building. And as such, within FRACO, we have a solid financial backbone that is, if it's well implemented, that will provide the sector with the solid funding for even larger, you know, projects. Again, this will only work with the right market structure. I insist on this because I've seen that. Um, I've seen the impact of that over the years. A structure that does not allow me secure return on capital in a timely manner will also make it difficult for me to be bankable. Simple. It's just, it's just that easy. So meaning we won't even be able to secure the funding if it is not implemented or if the right market structure is not in place.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for that. Now, the um, shortfalls in the collection by DISCOs has resulted in significant liquidity issues across the power value chain. I don't know if you can share with us um, some short and medium-term strategies that you would advise uh, DISCOs to apply or employ in order to ensure that electricity consumers, including public agencies, um, are able to clear their unpaid bills. Okay,
1: to be honest with you, um, I think the 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 collection strategy or the, the, the way to reduce losses and the is pretty clear. And and even though it's clear, I'm sure you're wondering, okay, so why is it not happening? It's it's around some basic things. So the first one is metering and, and why do I I mean you know why metering is, is key because that just helps you minimize your collection loss if your customers are metered. And, of course, I already explained to you earlier on what needs to be done, um, in addition to some of the interventions that even the government has provided with regards to metering. Customer sensitization is also a critical one, where customers understand the importance of paying their bills on time, and, of course, the implication of not paying at all. Effective regulation to deter chronic debt defaulters, because there are de- chronic defaulters, and, and if there are consequences and people understand that there are consequences to their action, it would deter or sh- reduce the number of people who just don't prioritize payment of their bills. Of course, revenue assurance is, is, is one of, of those as well. Um, different strategies to ensure that your meters, for example, are reading accurately. Um, you're trying to minimize theft. Um, and, and also, just maybe have laws that actually deter energy theft. And, if, and for me, lastly, is technology. And you've seen how that has helped the telcos. And telcos don't talk about defaulters, technology has been a major. Um, major enab- enabler for, for such, such um, sectors to be able to ensure that they have very minimal collection loss. So, in a nutshell, those are the things that if the discos can focus on, it will definitely improve um, their collection.
0: Hmm, okay. So, you mentioned metering, and uh, metering is super important because I know that when, as economists, when we're putting penning down um, uh, market insight reports around this industry, metering is something that crops up uh, consistently. So we understand, and this is based on our research, that um, DISCO's plan to close the metering gap with uh, the distribution and installation of over 4 million meters under the second phase of what is called the Meter Asset Provider Scheme, so MAPS what is the current state of the metering gap and um, what are challenges? I know you touched upon some of them already, but if you can expand on some challenges encountered in deploying meters on their maps.
1: Okay, thank you, Chinwe. Um, so according to, to NERC, the current metering gap across all the discos is more than 10 million. And this includes both omitted customers and customers with obsolete meters. And that need to be replaced. I mean, so far, the two metering schemes, that is the meter asset provider, that's the map and the national mass metering program, that's NAMP, have been quite instrumental in ramping up metering rates across the discos, particularly in Kedda Electric, where we have about 60% of our customers metered. The first phase of the national mass metering program, that's phase zero, started last year where more than 100,000 customers were beneficiaries of the free meters that were distributed. The phase zero ended in September, and phase one is yet to commence um, as of today, um, due to some delays experienced that we're experiencing now with regards to you know, the disbursement of funds. However, we're still metering under the meter asset pro- provider scheme, that's the MAP scheme, where customers have to pay. And EKS Electric has, we have metered about 50,000 customers as of May 2022, that's between January and May. Um, And this is more than double the installations we had under the Meter Asset Program scheme last year, which was about 15,000 meters. But our in-house metering team usually puts them on their, you know, we usually put them on their toes to ensure that there's compliance. Also, not many customers are willing to pay for meters under the Meter Asset Provider Scheme, especially because they are aware of the distribution of the free meters under the National Mass Metering Program that I mentioned uh, earlier. Um, and, and this honestly would be addressed when the Phase 1 commences uh, very soon. But I'm very positive, and I think it's also a good opportunity for me to also just recognize you know, what the, you know, a regulator NEC and you know CBN has done in trying to just ensure that this metering gap and issue is addressed.
0: Oh wow it's it's really good to hear about the successes that you've been able to make with boosting metering using your um organization. And I'm going to try and adopt some of your optimism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and adopt some of it Okay, but I, I wanted to talk about gas briefly. Given that gas accounts for um, about 86% of Nigeria's power generation capacity, gas infrastructure is critical to improving power generation and distribution. How can discos such as Ikeja Electric attract um, increased investments into the gas industry?
1: Okay. Um, thank you once again, Chinwe. Now, you remember I explained the design, um, of the structure as, 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 when I started my, my, my discussion with you. So by market design, we do not generate power. So there is actually no direct link with us. I mean, we have no direct link with gas suppliers. This course can, however, support through steady and 100% of remittance of sector obligations, assuming the right environment, which we, which we I think we spoke about earlier on. What we can also do is partner with mini grid operators, um, embedded power generators, to ensure the right synergies are uh, in place that will attract gas suppliers to invest in retail gas distribution for the distribution end of the sector.
0: Okay, okay, that's good to that's mm-hmm. good to know or good to learn. Now, there are vast um, opportunities for off-grid alternatives. What are your thoughts around boosting Nigeria's energy mix through renewables? And is there any role that this can play in fostering the development of alternative energy sources?
1: Okay. Thank you so much. Um, you know, Nigeria is blessed not just with huge gas reserves, and in addition, our tropical environment also gives us an opportunity to leverage on solar power. I mean, Eket Electric, honestly, is at the forefront of exploring renewable power source today, um, while still considering uh, a major source of power in the next five years. And as such, we are currently working with several partners to bring this to life. We are targeting to, targeting to deliver our first integrated solar power distribution network by first quarter 2023. That, that is the plan.
0: Okay. Hmm. So before I let you go, I have <laughs> one final discussion point. <laughs> and that is this. Nigeria is currently in a pre-election year. What three core recommendations would you give to the incoming administration um, that, I, that is focused or that are focused on reducing or stopping power shortages?
1: <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> well, for me, um, I would say the very first thing is to increase investment in the energy sector. I think... They should conduct a power asset inventory and audit to determine the priority investment needed across the value chain and the funding required. I think it's also key that they resolve outstanding government debts and liabilities to the power sector and create a suitable um, fiscal measure for future payments and to prevent accumulation of debt and to really, really consider that full privatization. I think that is key. Um, second thing I would say would be to solve the barriers to gas, to power the value chain. So for example, the full activation of the PPA with embed, um, and that obviously is already in the works, to be honest. Implement and, of course, enforce penalties for supply and payment um, defaults under on, on that, on that this scheme. And, of course, renewable energy integration is key, very, very key. I mean, invest in new grid infrastructure to support the integration of, of these off-grid sources that we spoke about um, earlier on. Integrate the mini-grids into the disco networks to supply the underserved areas and communities. And more important, and lastly, which is something that's so key, I think is to just develop favorable policies that will support um, renewable solutions and just ensure that the sector works because we know how critical and important the power sector is. And if it works, we know the direct impact on our GDP so um, I hope
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes and that impact is would be so significant because truly like for an industrial takeoff to take place um, power power is essential power is like literally at the front burner of of the gas cooker so yes thank you so much for these recommendations and thank you so much for accepting our invitation to share from your extensive bank of knowledge. I completely, completely enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank
1: you so much, Shengwei. Thank you very much to the team as well. I think I, think I enjoyed um, speaking and I, I hope there's also an opportunity to kind of create that awareness about what is happening in this sector and, and what even my organization and other discourse are doing to try and you know, solve the issue the problems in the sector.
0: Yes, definitely, definitely.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, me for the opportunity. I really do appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for listening. Be sure to look out for the next episode. In the meantime, reflect on the insightful nuggets you received. You can listen by visiting www.coronationmb.com or on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Castbox, Spreaker, and Player FM.